You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Our guest today is a former athlete and family man who built a career on the corporate side of the solar industry. And along the way, he saw the value of owning rental property and now owns 16 single-family rentals in seven states. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Nate O'Neill is now a true believer in the financial power of long-term rentals and has offered to tell his story here on The Real Wealth Show. So, Nate, welcome back. Thanks, Kathy. Great to be here. So you have really jumped into real estate and what, over the last seven years? Well, yeah, I started in 2004, but really got aggressive back in 2009 and started really building the portfolio then. So I've been in it 15 years, but mostly over the, the last you know nine or 10. Okay, wonderful. So you have a full-time job. Tell me a little bit about why you started in real estate. Our primary residence appreciated significantly. And my wife and I are like, hey, we, we got to do more of this. So we started saving up and you know, we live in California, in the Bay Area, where it's you know pretty expensive and you can't really cash flow unless you put a huge down payment. So we looked out of state and got our first property in Colorado. Uh, and then we were actually just passive landlords for five years. It worked out well. And then in 2009, when the market was low, uh, I looked at my spreadsheet and there was a lot of good numbers coming out of it. So <laughs> it was a great time to, to invest. So we got aggressive between 2009 and just love it. And again, I will talk today about all the benefits of holding long-term rentals. Well, let's talk about that because you bought in 2009, which was just probably the best time ever. There was so little competition and so much supply. And, but you also bought before that when prices were a little more normal. So those are two very different times in the cycle. Now we're back where prices are back up. Does it make sense today as much as it did in 2009 or, or when you started? So I'll say from my personal perspective, I'm definitely cautious. Um, when we've seen you know, this 10-year run-up of assets, not just housing, but stocks and everything, it certainly makes you, you know, to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, that being said, uh, if you look at the fundamentals and everything I read about the housing market, the microeconomic information is very strong, just in terms of supply and demand, mm-hmm. right? There is a lack of supply of affordable homes, and that's where I focus my investing is in the starter home type of, of homes. And given the demographics of people coming into the home ownership market with the millennials and you know elder people staying in their homes longer, you know there's there's demand as well. So those two things are really what's you know keeping me in the game right now. Uh, certainly cautious. The concerns that I have are more macroeconomic, like what could potentially happen with you know trade wars and geopolitical things and that kind of stuff. But you know the, the last crash that we had was related to housing because we had poor loans, because we had over-speculation, and that's what led to the downturn. Uh, I don't see that now in the housing market. So my only concern really is what potentially could happen with macroeconomic things and national debt, et cetera, like that. So how are you protecting yourself from that? <laughs> yeah. So I've uh, been fortunate in terms of you know my, my portfolio has appreciated very nicely. So I have equity in my portfolio. And so even if there were to be a downturn, I'd be fine. As long as rents don't go down significantly, because that's really the, the risks to the, to the long-term buy and hold model is uh, rent decreasing or vacancy and maintenance. And then just, I'm actually going to be purchasing a couple of new build fourplexes here that are going to be finished in December. And just basically leveraging the equity that I have in my portfolio in a very conservative way just in case I have it built in my model. If there is a downturn, 
I'll be okay. And again, like the, the biggest risk is downturn in rents. Even if there is a downturn in home values, I'm a you know hold forever type of guy. So I'm in a position where I would just ride it out. And as long yeah, it as it doesn't really matter, right? Time, you're not if you're not matter. selling it, then who cares what the value of the property is? What matters is the rent. Absolutely. And that's what I experienced with my first property when I bought it in 2004. It actually did decrease in value, but the rent actually increased. So mm-hmm. I didn't need to sell and my cash flow increased. And, and that's really what gave me the confidence to, you know, to really start to try to scale this thing. Yeah. Really where people got into trouble last time is they, they over leveraged and weren't able to make the payments. It wasn't so much the loss of equity because as long as you can hold the asset, it usually comes back. And over time, if you look at any graph or chart, you see that it does come back over time. So the key is holding it. And unfortunately, in the last downturn, that was really tough because if you over leverage and your payments are high, but your rents don't cover the expenses or the rents go down or you have extended vacancies, that's a, that's a big issue. For sure. And then, you know, there was also these exotic mortgages more on the market as well, where, you know, you lock in a payment for a year and then there was a yeah. huge balloon payment. And, you know, yeah. it, that was banking on continued strong appreciation. So yeah. that, that's part of the reason that we had a downturn. Yeah. So now you've got five reasons you think real estate can outperform other investments. So what is that? So, yeah, I see a lot of content out there that talks about cash flow and appreciation uh, or poses the question, should you? Uh, invest for cash flow and appreciation. I think it's it's a great question, uh, and those two things are certainly big factors that are make real estate investing so beneficial. But I think there may be a segment of the investing population or the the general population that doesn't realize all the other benefits to investing in long term rentals and in the acquire and hold model. And I specifically choose the term acquire because it's not really buy and hold because when you buy something, it implies that you consume it and it's gone. For example, you, you, know, you go to the grocery store, buy a gallon of milk, you, you drink it and it's gone. When you quote unquote buy a house, um, it's still there. You're just basically transferring your money from where it is to the home. So, mm. um, so the acquire and hold model, certainly there's cash flow, which you know, is as long as the rent covers all the expenses, uh, principal interest, taxes, insurance, you know, if there's any HOA, uh, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, appreciation. We, we have seen historically that homes tend to go up over time. So two great benefits. But there's three other really powerful benefits. When you look at, you know, the government allows us to depreciate homes over 27 and a half years. So that cash flow that you create is tax sheltered. So for example, if you make $300 a month in cash flow, you can take that depreciation to offset it and it shows a higher value. So for example, for me, like $300 in cash flow is like having to earn like $460 uh, at my W2 job. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's $160 difference. And you might think, oh, that's not that big a deal. But when you think about that's every month and over the course of, again, I'm a, a long-term guy over the course of the years. And then if you scale it across different multiple units, uh, it starts to really add up. So with depreciation, the government really allows you to have your cake and eat it too, right? You, you can mm-hmm. depreciate an asset that's actually appreciating. So you got cash flow, appreciation, and then you've got you know, this value of being able to depreciate. So the tax benefits there. Yeah, it's funny. It's, a, it's appreciation and depreciation at the same time. So even though your property is increasing in value, according to the IRS, it's decreasing in value, it's depreciating. 
and you get to write it off even even if it's making money. So it's a, it's a wonderful law that makes no sense, but but I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. How, how cool is that, right? I mean, thank thank you, government, for that. Right. <laughs> so uh, another benefit, a fourth benefit, is like I actually love getting my mortgage statements in the mail. I love getting the bills. The first thing I look at is how much was the principal paid down on my loan? Because at the end of the day, like that money is not coming from me, it's coming from the rent. So each month, the amount of principal that I get uh, is paid down by, by the tenant. So again, it may not necessarily be significant on one property, but if you have uh, every month that happening over the course of years, over the course of many properties, it starts to be significant. So your net worth is credited every month by how much the principal is paid down on your loan. And so, you know, again, just the benefit of long-term mortgages as well. And I'll stress that, you know, this model that I'm talking about and the five benefits play into the fact when you use leverage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have a loan on the property. So that's the fourth one. So you've got cash flow, you've got appreciation, you've got tax sheltered cash flow because of depreciation. And then, you know, your tenant is paying down your mortgage and your net worth is credited every month by that amount. So that's incredible. We have to cure some violations on our old home because we built a deck in California and that triggered all these things. Apparently we needed (laughs) permits for that. And anyway, we haven't been able to sell it. So we're renting it. But every single month that that renter is there, she's paying a thousand dollars off towards our principal. So it's like, okay, well, this is going to help pay for these violations we have to cure. Uh, It's, 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 it is incredible. So, so yeah, so so that that's that's four of the benefits, and then you know the fifth benefit is inflation hedge. So again, we talked about the mortgage, and I think people may underestimate the power of a thirty-year mortgage. You know, due to inflation, like a seven hundred dollar monthly payment today will actually go down over time, mm-hmm. and that's because the value of seven hundred dollars today, because of inflation, you're not going to be able to buy as much in ten, fifteen, twenty years with that seven hundred dollars. So yeah. it's it's a little bit of nuanced thinking. But you're locking in that payment today, and the value of that is going down. And you want the value of your debt to go down, right? So uh, another benefit. And then also with with inflation, that drives up both home prices and rents. Mm -hmm. So in real estate investing for the long term, when you leverage, when you use debt, inflation is your friend. So yeah, and inflation is not a friend for, for very many people. So it's really nice to be able to offset increased living costs, right? The cost of gas goes up, cost of food goes up, housing goes up. But here, you know, if you own real estate, your cost of your rent goes up. So your rental income is going up every every month and generally speaking, and and then the value of the house. And yet that inflation eats away your debt. So yeah. you're getting the asset values going up while the debt is getting smaller. So it it is I'm so glad you reminded me. These are really the basics, but I forget to talk about them. But when people who don't know real estate investing, but they know, they see other people making money in real estate, they think the only way that happens is through flipping properties or, you know, buying in California and then the, the property doubles in value. That's, that's what they, that's what most Californians think when they think of millionaires in real estate. But what they don't know is all this background stuff. You know, you're from California and you get lots of people asking you questions about your portfolio as you've been building it because you took that leap, you know, and you're investing out of state and that's real scary the first time you do it. So what are some of the questions that you hear people ask you or concerns that they, that they say to you about doing what you're doing? Yeah. I think the first thing is like, 
how do you find the people, right? Mm -hmm. How do you find the people that you can trust? And for me, it was just a matter of getting on the phone and talking to people. And I, and I, you know, I've got properties in different States, but I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people that I ended up not doing business with. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really comes down to, you know, asking the right questions, Mm -hmm. you know, getting a feel for, for these people. And, you know, I almost view it like, like a tennis match. Like you want to go out and play tennis with someone that's going to hit the ball back to you. And so as you're talking through different scenarios, different properties, you hit the ball over the net and, you trust that they hit it back and you do that, you know, over a course of several times. And, you know, the people that hit the ball back and you get into a rhythm, those are the people you want to work with. And people that don't hit it back or, you know, hit it back the wrong way, that, that's who you, you don't want to do business with. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, you know, just being able to identify the right kind of people uh, to work with and, and, and people asking that question quite often. So you said, ask the right questions. You talk to a lot of people and that helps you determine who to work with. What were some of those questions that you asked? Yeah. So kind of the basic property management things, you know, what's your monthly fee? What software do you use? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. But also, you know, tell me your opinion. Like, what do you think about this neighborhood? Do you think it's going to appreciate? Do you think there's risk of depreciation for any reason? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of stuff. And again, it's not just, you know, the questions that you ask, but how they answer them and their responsiveness as well. Mm-hmm. Like, for the people I would work with, I would send them a property and tell me, what would you put this on the market for? Uh, and not just, uh, you know, well, you know, Zillow says this or Rent Cafe says this. No, what would you, if I were to get this property and you were my manager, what would you put it on the market for? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, working with people that know and are willing to make that commitment says mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, that's great. I mean, over the years, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people too. And boy, if I ran into a lot of snakes, a lot, a lot of sharks in this business. Um, some don't even know that they're sharks. They just, you know, that's how they operate. So what we do at Real Wealth, just to go beyond even that conversation, that's important, but we will do the background checks because sometimes, you know, sometimes slicksters are the best conversationalists. I've been talked into some deals that I didn't do my due diligence because I kind of trusted the conversation and wow, that was a bad move. So now we, yeah. we do start, you know, the conversation, ask the basic questions, but then we do background checks. We make sure that they're licensed in those areas. We want to talk to people that they've worked with. We definitely do Google searches to see if there's any bad reviews. And you know what? Everybody gets bad reviews. It'd be crazy to, to think that someone's not going to get a bad review. I mean, you go to your favorite restaurant in the world and you look up on, on Yelp and there's going to be a bad review. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad company. It might be just during that month, uh, they had a bad month or maybe they had an employee out of town. Two years ago, we we had three syndications going that were like one was thirteen million. We had to raise it in a month, and then we had another one that was four million, another one that was three million. So we are we were so busy we couldn't get back to people as quickly as yeah. we normally would. So we got a couple of bad reviews on that, and um, you know we just went in and explained it. But doing as much background, but even beyond that, once you've decided I like this person, that doesn't mean that they know everything about a property. They don't. How could they? So you've got to then also make sure you bring in the right team to be your eyes and ears for you. Hiring the right inspectors to do a full inspection, not a four-point. I've seen some companies out there just doing these four-point inspections. That is not enough. You need a full inspection. And once you get that inspection back and you want to see if there's any issues at all, you get further inspections because you need to know what you're buying from a third party, not the person selling it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The analogy is you got to play tennis with people a little bit, not just, you know, have conversations. 
Yeah, yeah. And give them, throw them a curveball. <laughs> See how they sure. respond. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, and, and actually let me let me just kind of put a bow on the Oh the, yeah, put a bow on it. On, on the five <laughs> the five benefits. Cause there's actually yeah. there's actually like a bonus to this Ooh. thing as well, right? So yeah, I'd like to hear about the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the uh, you know, the cash flow, the appreciation, the tax sheltered cash flow, mortgage pay down, uh, and then inflation hedge. But the other thing is like over time, right, as you build equity, right, and you build equity through appreciation and your tenant paying down the mortgage, you have the ability to tap into that equity. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, say, you know, you own a property for 20 years and it's paid off and it's worth $200,000. You have this $200,000 asset that you can go to the bank and say, hey, I, I want to do a cash out refi, 75% loan to value, which is $150,000. And that $150,000, again, is tax-free. You're not paying taxes. You're going to get a check for $150,000 that you pay no taxes on. And you know, again, like if you had to work a W-2 job to make $150,000, you have to make like $220,000, $230,000. So that's another benefit. And again, too, remember, you take out this loan, who's paying it back? The tenant is, at least partially. Uh, mm-hmm. depending on you know what the rent is at that time you may you know have a little bit out of pocket as well but you get this tax free money that you can then if you're smart you know invest it in more cash flowing assets it's really amazing and uh, yeah so you can basically refinance whenever rates go down you can refinance take cash out that cash is tax free and if rates go down you may not even change your financial situation in terms of cash flow it might sure. change just a little bit but let's say you knew that you had kids going to college in 10 years or 15 years or five years. You know, this that, is a way. Which is me. That, yeah. That's me. I, next, next decade is going to be an expensive decade for me. I got, I got two that'll be in college. So is that part of your plan was to buy these homes and then refi at a later date? Or so, yeah, I mean, I'm evaluating a lot of different things, but certainly that, that is an option for sure. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Any other tips for our listeners? Things you've learned along the way. So, uh, yeah, again, I think the main message is don't underestimate the power of owning long-term rentals with smart loans, with smart debt. Because, uh, you know, and I wish I had started earlier, you know, and, and the message really, you know, is to the younger people out there. If you can start this early and, you know, just acquire one, you know, 10 years and you get all those benefits for the rest of your life. Right. Because again, like that's that's the, the beauty of this thing is, you know, if you decide not to sell these things, they're they're gonna be assets that you own that have value that are gonna pay you all these benefits every single month for the rest of your life. Now what about the reality of repairs and vacancies? I mean, that's gonna eat into that profit. Sure, for sure. And you should definitely factor those in. Repairs, you know, you don't know. And and again, from my perspective, all of my homes were built this century and I particularly targeted newer homes. So we would have, you know, lower maintenance at the same time, there is maintenance. And the longer I own this portfolio, the more maintenance there's going to be. But my perspective is because, you you know, you kind of talked about flippers and rehabbers out there is I would rather rehab my own home because I know exactly what I have. I've owned it for so long. So yeah, so definitely factor in that. And in terms of vacancy, yes, it'll happen. But another thing that continues to encourage me is, you know, we talked about the demographics is all the information I read out there is that, you know, rental demand is maintains very strong and it's conti- it's expected to continue to to be strong as well throughout the and next decade throughout the next decade mm-hmm. and 
so that that bodes well. And my portfolio, I'm, I'm cash flowing on all my units. So if we were to even have like a downturn in rent, I could still cover the expenses. All right. Well, Nate, it's really been a pleasure to have you here on The Real Wealth Show. Thanks. Appreciate it, Kathy. Yeah, I hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you're interested in learning more about how to acquire high cash flow rental property in the fastest growing areas of the U.S., consider joining us at our upcoming holiday event on December 7th in San Mateo and December 8th in L.A. You can get those details at newsforinvestors.com. We'll have teams from the Southeast joining us from Florida and Texas, where there's no state income tax and where the bulk of the demographic shift is happening over the next 10 years. Again, get those details at newsforinvestors.com. Just click on the Learn tab and you'll see the drop down for events.